Welcome everyone to In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Wombleban Dickinson, and today we have a special episode for you recorded in Washington, D.C. at the Association of Corporate Counsel's annual conference. We recorded several episodes at the conference, and I think they are some of the best conversations we've had to date. Longtime listeners may notice that the audio isn't quite as good as we typically produce. We used our travel equipment, so please forgive any technical issues. We have a special guest with us today. Keith Atkinson is the Managing Director and Associate General Counsel at Nuveen. Keith, thanks so much for joining us. Mark, thank you for having me. Happy Great. to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background so our audience knows a little bit about you? Happy to. Uh, Like a number of in-house counsel, I went the law firm route before joining Nuveen. Uh, Before that was uh, at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for my legal education uh, and Wake Forest for my undergraduate. Practiced at King & Spalding in Atlanta for six great years and joined Nuveen, uh, which was then TIAA, about 12 years ago. Great. And tell us a little bit about what you're, I know you're involved in the asset management group. Tell us a little bit about what that involves in terms of that position. Sure. Uh, We've seen tremendous growth in the asset management group, as a lot of asset managers have seen in recent years. So when we think about who our peers are and who we compare ourselves against, it's a wide variety of insurance companies, insurance company asset management arms, classic asset managers like BlackRock, uh, groups like that. So what we have seen is an evolution of what our clients are doing, raising money, investing money, trying to achieve great yields, uh, particularly since the crash, uh, we're in a yield-constrained environment. So you're seeing increased diversification in the types of assets, the geographies in which those assets are located. So our legal team is supporting far more diverse effort than ever before. Gotcha. I think I was amazed in looking at the numbers. It looks like almost $900 billion in assets under management. I mean, that's a mind-boggling number for someone like me. I mean, usually when you talk about approaching a trillion dollars, you're talking about governments or small countries, not (laughs) not an individual company. So uh, that's got to be quite a task. Uh, It it is quite a task, but uh, if you unpack that, 900 billion, what you'll find is uh, an amazing level of diversification, which for lawyers who service our investment clients and our product clients, uh, it's extremely rewarding. So if you unpack that 900 billion, you're, you're everywhere up and down the capital stack, as we like to, as we like to call it. So fixed income investments make up a lot of that, uh, equity investments, publicly traded equities, private equity, derivatives, real estate. Uh, We're one of the largest real estate managers in the world. Farmland, timberland. Uh, These are great assets for insurance companies. And TIAA is our parent insurance company, uh, by far our largest single client. Uh, Insurance companies are prime to hold high-yielding, 
long-dated, illiquid investments. They're the ones that need the most legal work and most attention, uh, and I think that's really where a strong legal team earns its stripes. Gotcha. Great. Tell me a little bit about that team. How many do you have at Nuveen, and kind of what's the structure of the legal department there? Sure. The the Nuveen legal department uh, has roughly 50 attorneys. Uh, We have a a very experienced group of attorneys and uh, paralegals who work with us. Uh, Split roughly uh, by asset class and function. Uh, We run a relatively flat organization. We run a relatively lean organization to manage that roughly $1 trillion in assets. We have a lot of very sophisticated, uh, broad-based lawyers. The team that I oversee is, is excellent, very well tenured. Our team services a variety of assets, a variety of investment products, ranging from fixed income, private equity, project finance, derivatives, leverage lending, all the way to farmland, timberland, infrastructure. Our investment clients, and we as lawyers have counseled them, to make investments in bridges, in toll roads, again, which are great long-term buy-and-hold investments for our general account. Increasingly, our investment clients are taking those assets, taking that investment capability, and offering it to other institutional investors. Pension plans in the U.S. and abroad, public and private, even high net worth individuals. Uh, When you look at Nuveen, the Nuveen brand really resonates in uh, a lot of ways, but in particular uh, municipal bonds as the, the first underwriter of a muni bond. And the Nuveen division manages, uh, it's the number one manager by far of what's called closed-end funds, uh, which are a unique type of mutual fund uh, that offers a little more uh, diversification than a standard mutual fund you may get on the street. And I think the diversity of what Nuveen manages really forces our legal team to uh, become better lawyers and to continue to become uh, build more depth as business partners, true business partners with our clients. That's great. Yeah, I'm impressed that, I mean, that's a big group with 50 folks. Are they all in Charlotte or are they scattered around the, the country? Uh, our, so, so within Nuveen, our legal department is uh, pretty well diversified across the country. I think we're in all four time zones. Wow. Uh, sh- <laughs> I'm sure that presents challenges from a uh, kind of a management coordination uh, standpoint. It, it does. Fortunately, technology has helped quite a bit. I'd say, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it would have been more difficult. Uh, but our investment clients uh, and our product management clients are similarly spread out. I think in a way that's, that's a very good thing. You know, technology makes it seamless. It's easier, I think, to manage a team that is that broad-based. And also our investment clients are themselves and our, and our product clients are themselves traveling around. They're meeting with you know, sponsors. They're meeting with inve- institutional investors. They're traveling all around the world. Yeah, I've often said as long as you have a good airport, uh, you're you're <laughs> right. in good shape. But uh, New York, Charlotte, and Chicago are where the bulk of our legal team sits. We still work very closely with uh, the TIA legal team, uh, which is similarly diversified uh, with probably more of a focus in New York, which is the headquarters, as well as Charlotte. Gotcha. That's great. 
Well, uh, I was particularly excited you agreed to do the podcast because among your other accolades, uh, you were recently recognized by the Charlotte Business Journal Corporate Council Awards, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, you know, in the award, they highlighted your talent for assembling a great in-house team, and that is something that I thought you could maybe share with our listening audience a little bit about that team-building process, but, you know... I guess before we get into some of those tips, how do you think about or how do you define a successful legal department and kind of what what guides the structure? Um, I, you know, I think legal departments have grown enormously over the last 10 years. I'm amazed. I think we have something like 2,700 lawyers here for this ACC meeting. Obviously, mm-hmm. nationwide, there are many, many more in-house counsel. That's a phenomenon. When I started practicing 25 years ago, it was very unusual. I mean, there were maybe a few dozen in-house lawyers in the state, mainly big banks, big public companies, you had lawyers. But outside of that, there weren't very many in-house lawyers. So we've seen this explosion. And I think thinking about what that team is, is a challenge. So what, you know, I guess, what is that? How do you define that team? What are you looking for as you build it? Yeah, I think one key aspect that I always remind myself and my colleagues is that we're here to serve our clients. We're not here to practice law in a vacuum. We're not here to wax poetic about, you know, esoteric aspects of law. If that helps your clients, wax poetic, wax, you know, extremely poetic. But you have to match where your clients are, and particularly in financial services, with a lot of compression, margin compression, interest rate pressures, and just competitive pressures. I mean, you see uh, how index funds or passively managed funds are becoming much more in vogue. There's some good reason for that, uh, but that drives down margins, which uh, limits resources. So we have to respond to what our clients are doing and don't think that just because the way we practice law, the practice areas that we were focused on even you know, 20, 10, five years ago, uh, that we don't have to keep evolving with our clients. So I think the best lawyers, at least in, in our team, are the ones who continue to evolve. They're actually true business partners. Uh, I think our team, our entire legal team across Nuveen and TIA are very, very strong business partners were consistently viewed that way by our clients. What does that mean? Uh, That means working in partnership. You're not a roadblock. You obviously put stop signs up and caution flags up where necessary, uh, but you're working with your clients to get to an outcome. So you need to understand their business, their objectives, what makes them tick. I think that is what differentiates, you know, our legal department, which I think is extremely strong, uh, from, you know, some others and maybe some others in the past where not as much of that was expected of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our lawyers serve as strategists, we serve as advocates, we serve as brokers in many cases, and thought leaders. That's great. And that's a theme for listeners of this podcast. We've heard some other uh, highly respected general counsel sound those themes. And I'm always impressed because I think as outside counsel, that's something you know, we certainly teach is you've got to understand your client's business. If you don't understand it, you can't represent them in litigation, which is what I do, or do the transaction or help make sure they're really achieving whatever their objectives are. You have to understand the business. Uh, but I think that's obviously been more true in many ways with in-house because you've got one client, so you really understand it. How how do you promote or, I guess, try to accomplish that goal? What ways 
do the lawyers, is it a matter of being involved in meetings? Are there things that they are reading or exposed to? Because I, I know, you know, there are a lot of fairly new general counsel. Often they come out, they don't really know much about the business they're joining. So how, how do you help promote that sense of understanding? Sure. I think how I do it, at least, is I ask and I encourage my colleagues to ask questions. Because if you don't ask the question, what, what's really concerning you? So take an example of a fixed income investment. You know, that's where a lot of my team spends time in structuring complex fixed income investments. What keeps our business client up at night? What is he or she worried about? What's the trigger for them to possibly lose money? maybe stop that interest flowing or, or lose principal. The investment goes into work. What, what is it that they're concerned about? Are they concerned about this renegade division in some other country? Are they worried about uh, perhaps you know, that they've been very acquisitive and they may make a couple of missteps and, and lever the company up uh, just to try to grow it larger, which puts pressure on their ability to pay us back? You have to understand what our clients' concerns are, and by asking them the question. Because remember, our clients, they're in the business because they're good at it. And I think our investment clients and product clients are extremely good at what they do. But they also enjoy it. So they want to talk about what mm -hmm. underwriting. They want to talk about right. developing a product to sell in the European channel. They want to talk about those challenges because it's what they're good at and it's what they enjoy. And we can learn by asking those probing questions. And then when that first draft of the term sheet comes over, or maybe we're drafting it, we're one step ahead. We're not just regenerating some legalese from a couple of years ago. Gotcha. That's a good example. How do you, obviously, if you're building a good team, you've got to recruit you're never going to have this although although your tenures for you know you've been there a while and i've been at womble my whole career but certainly a lot of people move more often and there's obviously people coming in and out do you have tips for folks that are trying to build a team that works well in terms of recruiting how what should folks think about look at either places to get candidates or things they may have overlooked in terms of criteria or, you know. well i think we're blessed uh at our company with a very good reputation uh when we're out in the market looking for talent so that that's a I think it's very hard fought. A lot of my predecessors have worked hard to build that. So we have a, a strong reputation, which means it is a buyer's market in our case. Uh, there are so many talented lawyers out there uh, that uh, the differentiation, I would say, when you're really looking at them, it comes down to certainly having the chops. But there are so many well-trained, very talented lawyers that have the chops. They have the technical skills. When it comes to fit, you look at fit in a couple of ways, and that's really what it comes down to. It's fit with your clients. How is this attorney going to interact with your clients, depending on what, what the need is? Um, and then how are they going to fit internally with the team? And you know, at least in my view, you have to build a team that's diverse and diversity measured in as many ways with as many metrics as possible. From diversity comes new ideas, new perspectives, perspectives that may seem, they may challenge old saws, but that's how you advance. That's how you challenge old orthodoxies and really advance the practice of law. And when it comes time to build a team, make a few hires, you know, restructure, whatever, you have to look at the team as an organic unit. 
particularly a, a very well-seasoned, tenured team, a very strong team like we have, you have to keep, you know, every, it's, it's the, the sum of the parts. It's the analogy. The whole has to be better than the sum of its parts. And I think our whole is stronger and our parts are excellent. And that's what a diverse team that brings together different perspectives and challenges each other. And you shouldn't be afraid to have your perspective challenged. And it's continuous mm-hmm. improvement. It continues right. to advance our cause and the cause of our clients, we believe. I think that's great. I was going to ask about diversity, so I appreciate that. I think that is important. I know that's something Nuveen is committed to, which I, I appreciate. One of the challenges with diversity is overcoming some unconscious bias. I think everyone, when you're interviewing someone or looking at a resume, you tend to look and say, oh, well, they went to Carolina for law school. I know that's a great school, you know, and hire that way, as well as people that may look like us, sound like us. How do you overcome that? Is it, you know, what do you use to get past that initial presumption of saying, well, I'm just going to, I'll bring in a bunch more people that look and sound and think like me? Well, I think, you know, it is somewhat a natural human tendency um, to look at a profile that might look similar to either yours or that which you're familiar with. So you have to be intentional to move away from that, um, not to not consider, obviously, those candidates. Uh, but I think that by broadening your scope at the outset, by saying, I'm going to look for the best available candidate. And if that best available candidate happens to be one that has a similarity to, you know, one or two to yourself, the way you practice or that of your team members or that of your clients, you know, great. But if you cast as wide a net as possible, you're going to be amazingly surprised at the talent that is out there that may come from non-traditional sources, non-traditional backgrounds. So you really, really have to be intentional. And understand there's been a lot of research on unconscious bias. I, I understand that. To counteract that, it forces you to be very intentional. Say, am I giving every resume that's coming across here, am I giving every candidate that I see that I interview uh, really the most fair shot? Am I? And, and the other thing, at least for our department, is we are lucky to have a very long-tenured department. We have um, attorneys because... I think because they're so successful, because TIAA and Nuveen are you know, regarded as very strong places to work, uh, that we want this to be a home for you, not a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And so we, we look at that and say, well, what can you bring? How can you advance us? And having a diverse background across as many measures of diversity as possible is going to continue to advance us and make us a even stronger legal department. And there's plenty of empirical evidence that shows that. Yeah, no, I think that's great. You mentioned one key thing is casting that net as wide as possible. What does that mean in practical terms for maybe a GC that's the only guy out there and doesn't know where to look beyond maybe, maybe he posts on the ACC webpage uh, right. saying I've got a position but doesn't know where else to go? You know, how, how do you go about casting that wide net? What are, do you use placement firms, for example? Do you use some of these online advertisers? Do you use a combination? What, what is the approach? Yeah, we, we're, we're fortunate to have a very strong, seasoned, um, internal you know, human resources department that uh, is able to conduct very sophisticated searches across a wide variety of backgrounds, cities, you know, geographies, mm-hmm. etc. For those that 
don't have those resources. We're blessed to have those resources. For those at smaller firms that don't have those resources, I think the internet has has really leveled that playing field somewhat. So you think about LinkedIn, and you know there, there are a number of um, not they would be viewed as non traditional years ago uh, websites and sources to that kind of cut out that idea of well I'm struggling I'm just going to call my buddy. Right. And, you know, he or she will right. he or she'll hook me up with yeah. um with someone that, that's right for the role. Uh that person may be right for the role, but they may not be. Um so you know, I think technology is a great source and I would encourage large firms or smaller firms to fully leverage technology. Gotcha. No, I think that's a practical uh, one thing that I thought was real interesting as a non attorney it hadn't occurred to me until you guys were just talking about it. The point about um, bias and just specifically about uh, your ideas, your, your thinking as attorneys, right? Your whole point is to be like, this is my idea and it is the right idea. This is where I'm going to remember. This is a thought. And so I, it never occurred to me before, but that must be a challenge to when we're talking about, and I'm, we've actually incorporated that in the conversations about in our marketing and stuff, this notion that diversity is important for a law firm because we sell thought and diverse thought is what's going to uh, be the most advantageous for our clients. But this notion that as an attorney who is looking to hire to say to yourself, I need someone who's going to challenge me my thinking or the status quo thinking for my area of focus or what have you to challenge that because there may be a better solution. There might be a whatever. I never occurred to me until now that that must be a really difficult thing to kind of get yourself to stop doing to to say like maybe this uh, candidate has written a paper or whatever that's kind of counter to what, but that's maybe that's important. That I think is interesting now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the practice of law, I think we're in a way fortunate to be where we are with technology. Technology has leveled the playing field, I think, in many ways. Even some of the sessions here you know, at this conference have focused on the really the disintermediating impact of technology. You know, we had a speaker uh, talk about blockchain to, to kick the conference off. Very well-renowned speaker. We've had a couple of people and mention that one. I, that must yeah. have been... A, it, yeah. was, it, it was... was, it was, was there. I was there. I was and and I, I'm, not, I'm not tech-savvy by any means. And he explained it in a very... Um, a way that a Luddite like I could understand. It clearly resonated <laughs> with folks. So. Yeah, it, it is. But So I think as a result of that, technology is, is a tool, but it's also its own thing. And that's just one example of how lawyers need to not just use technology, and we've been using technology, whether it's blacklining. I mean, you know, we've been using technology as a tool to make our lives easier, make our practices more efficient. It's more efficient for our clients uh, than it ever was before, uh, if you go back 20, 30 years. But technology is disruptive. You also have large numbers of lawyers who are coming online in non-traditional Western jurisdictions. And they're smart, they're hungry, they may not have the experience in high finance that you know someone who's practiced on Wall Street or the like has had, um, but they're talented and hungry. 
So I think where we earn our stripes is to continue to think outside the box and continue to encourage that diversity of thought, challenging each other. And if you ever go to an investment committee meeting, you know, at a sophisticated financial services firm and they're debating should we make this investment? You know, what are the risks? How do we mitigate them? How can we, you know, mitigate our losses if things go go wrong? You see significant challenges. You see a firing squad, which is great. It's sort of akin to the Socratic method in many cases that we all went through in law school. And it just makes you stronger. It just makes me, well, we as lawyers, you're exactly right. We as lawyers, I think, have to embrace that, to continue to embrace that. Because it's only gonna it's only gonna make us more relevant and more valuable, particularly as technology comes online and adds more efficiency and possibly displaces some of the less value add work that you know, we have uh, traditionally filled the gaps for. I think that's great. So we talked some about the in-house business client. What about the role of outside counsel? How do they fit into that? equation and I guess what kinds of things, what, how, how do you use outside counsel and how do they kind of integrate with the in-house team? Yeah, we, uh, again, we're, we're very fortunate to have uh, what we believe is very strong relationships with many counsel around the world. And similar to what I, what I mentioned, Mark, that uh, we want our external counsels to understand our business. Now, they'll never be as close for logistical reasons. Mm-hmm to where we are. They're not going to literally sit in the next office. But that is, that is a precondition. You know, we really have to have um, law firms with the technical expertise, uh, potentially the relationships, seeing things in the market, you know, just uh, understanding precedent uh, that we just don't see because we have, you know, one institutional client. Uh, but I think that how firms can differentiate themselves in working with uh, at least financial services clients, but I think it's true for all types of clients, is to really understand the business and understand the needs. Come and sit in lunches, in seminars, you know, where you may be educating the legal team and some of the in-house clients on emerging matter of law, and then sit there and listen to what our investment clients or product clients or risk management clients, because we look at all of them as really in our sphere of influence, um, listen to what their concerns are. And um, that just advances the ball. Again, tactically, that first draft of the purchase agreement, the credit agreement, is that much more informed. Right. And that is certainly a win-win. But back to the diversity point, one of the other aspects is that we are looking and many department house departments are increasingly looking at the diversity of our law firms and making a more concerted effort to look at how our law firms are doing, achieving metrics on um, how firms are staffing matters. Uh, and it, it's very consistent with where the market's going. We, again, think it's great for business. We think it's great for large firms like yourselves. We think it's great for your business, and certainly it enhances, I think, your representation of clients like ours. Gotcha. No, I agree. I think that's good. 
I wanted to ask a final question. We've talked some generally about staffing. What about, I guess, the, the captain of the team or the person at the top in terms of a role? And again, it could be GC, but it could just be the head of a particular team. What are important in that role beyond the job description in terms of things that they should have? And what tips would you give to comrades attending this conference or elsewhere that may be filling that role in terms of how they're relating uh, to others, either in the business or in their staff? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think the uh, the practice of law is, and you see it you know, from a, a different perspective, um, it's much more challenging in many ways, much more is expected of us, whether you're um, in private practice or in-house or in a government legal position, much more is expected of you. I think the best leaders within, and this is true within a partnership like yours or within a, an in-house department, are those who, it has to be a true 360. Um, so a lot of firms do you know, 360 reviews as part of talent, as part of evaluation. I think that's important. But what you really need to do is if you've hired well and you have you know, strong professionals, listen to them because they're on the front lines. Mm -hmm. right? you, you, if you're leading a team, whether it's a team of you know, eight or 88, you're, you're not going to be as, on the front lines as much as your team members are. So listen to them. Listen to their feedback. What are they bringing back? What are the concerns they're conveying about their clients? What are the clients feeling? Um, so you have to be willing to listen and you know, receive honest feedback and don't enter those conversations with preconceived notions. One thing that I've found is that all of us are much more willing to work hard and long hours if you're having fun. And the fun factor is really important. And fun can be you know, derived by many reasons. Um, recognize that what's fun for one team member is not the same as what is fun, i.e. motivates other team members. So you, you back to building and, ha and having diverse teams, you really have to understand what makes each team member tick. And not just team members, understand what colleagues at all levels of the organization, what makes them tick. How do they like to receive information? How do they like to convey information? And you know, there are a number of different team building and psychological exercises that, that are quite good, quite much more sophisticated than you know the trust falls of the past. Right. <laughs> to really to really understand what makes everyone tick, where they where they achieve their motivation from. Use those tools and don't treat everyone the same. Treat everyone fairly, but everyone is not the same. And just recognize that. And I think that that individuality is, you know, I think one of the best things that that individual treatment that you can really convey as a manager or a leader. You don't have to manage anyone to do that. You right. know, everyone can be a leader, but I think can all follow those principles. I think that's great. I, I think you're the first podcast guest that's focused on the importance of fun, and I like and I like it. Yeah, you, you, um, you have because to you have do. Fun. You have to enjoy it, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the things that make you come in. Whatever you're doing, we all have serious work to do. Right. By its very nature, most of what we're doing yeah. is serious. It involves a lot of money or other issues that matter a lot. Yeah, to you, folks. you entered but, you I, entered the practice of law, um, particularly sophisticated practices like ours, because you enjoyed the intellectual challenge. You enjoyed, you know, helping to problem solve. You wouldn't have entered the practice and you wouldn't have stayed in the practice this long if that weren't inherently enjoyable to you. 
even if you're good at it, you have to have enjoyed it some. Right. Right. So no, it's a matter. I of think that's right. Continue, you have to keep working and extracting that. But it's finding it and being willing to just say, "This is a fun moment or a fun exercise. We're just going to enjoy it and not be." I think many times we get afraid of taking ourselves too seriously. If we're that's right. smiling or laughing, something must be wrong. You know, manager just got to come in. What's going on? You know, <laughs> kind of. You're not allowed to be yeah. having fun. And I and I think that's a mistake. I mean, fun mm -hmm. is a good thing, and we want to actually encourage it. Well, and, and I have, I mean, you both uh, uh, have folks who work under you, and obviously, you're the law, period, as you said. I mean, it's very serious work. It's very, and you guys from, you know, probably elementary school on, like, intense, kind of very, very serious, very, you know, feeling pressure. How do you create, uh, because I'm sure you both have experienced in your uh, work, one of the biggest causes of, problems uh, can often be someone makes a mistake and because they know the stakes are so high and that there's so much writing on them that they then compound that issue by trying to either cover it up or, you know, try to put it off, right. you know, letting someone know about it, et cetera. How do you create an atmosphere where folks can at one time do your best not to screw this up, but also understand that we're all human and I need you to feel comfortable coming and, and having that conversation with me. Yeah. It's, it's really, we, everyone makes mistakes, you know, um, it, it's how you react to them, own them. If you make, you know, the same mistake 15 times, that's a different problem. Um, but it's really about not just saying you have an open door policy, but really meaning it. So that when someone comes in and says, Hey, you know, there's a mistake, you know, whoever's fault it is, it, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, something happened, it was, you know, non-positive or non-ideal or non-intended. Um, and then when that problem is brought to you, focus on how to solve it. Don't Because whatever it is, it's done. You don't have to relitigate it. How are we going to solve it? How are we going to get from this point, which is non-ideal, to something else? I like to look at it as an opportunity and, you know, it's an opportunity to sub problem solve in a way. And that's, that's not really being Pollyanna. Um, but mistakes are going to happen. I mean, that's why it's the practice of law. It's not the science of law. Um, and, you know, in, in an organization like ours, uh, in an industry like ours, I should say, where you're dealing with, um, very sophisticated matters on a daily basis, it's not going to go exactly as you intended every single time. You have many more wins than non-wins, but uh, <laughs> but um, it's a matter of of how you problem solve and look at it as an opportunity. Say, okay, this happened. It's not ideal. How do we get to maybe even a better place than we thought we were going to get last time because of it? That's the culture. You just keep problem solving. Keep tinkering. I think there's a lot of truth in that. At Womble, we've got something called the safe harbor that we've had for a long time, which mm -hmm. basically says, if you come and report a screw up, 
we're not going to be taking disciplinary action against you. It doesn't go into your evaluation file. The focus is on fixing that problem. And it's part of a, you know, it's an internal, you can make a report to our in-house general counsel or whoever, you know, and say, okay, you know, I've had this issue. And the idea is, as you were just saying, Keith, it's a collaborative, let's work together as a team. One of the nice things about being in a large firm is we've got lots of resources, put our heads together. You don't have to fix it yourself. Because I think we all have this very strong tendency to shoot, I screwed it up, I'm going to have to fix it myself. I don't want anyone else to know I messed up, I got to fix it myself. And typically you dig yourself a deeper hole when you take that approach because you made the mistake, you're no longer objective, you're going to try to cover it up. So never, you, never, yeah. cov never right? cover anything. Right. It and will be. It, it will, it will be, found. be found. It will be found, and, and it gets it, much worse. Yeah. And our policy says, if you report, you get the safe harbor. If you keep it to yourself and don't tell anybody, you lose that protection right. of the safe harbor, and you've now not shared it. And now, you know, there will be well, consequences. And, and we have a dude. We should whether you're wherever you sit, you are bound by you know professional responsibility and ethics, and just a higher canon because we're, we're here to serve our clients. You know, at our company. We're serving our, our in-house clients. You know, firms are serving a diversified array of, of clients. But at the end of the day, who our clients are, end clients, are what we call participants at TIAA. There are the teachers. They're the doctors. They may be the institutional investors who are coming into our funds um, that are entrusting us with their money and their perhaps their retirees' money. And that's who you do it for, right? That's who... You, that's a right. law firm. There's really exactly. no difference. Um, and that's, to me, should be you know, exhibit A of why don't cover it up. Right. Don't cut, you know, I think that's it. very true. When I was in high school, I um, uh, ran into, I was backing out of a spot in a car, and uh, I backed into one of these pole things, and it, it messed up the bumper, and freaked out. I'm like, oh, man, my, you know, my dad's going to kill me. I messed up the car. Uh, and I was I, I just, just, you know, wrought with it, right? And so um, uh, finally, you know, was kind of like, Dad, please don't be upset with me. Here's the thing, blah, blah. And my dad was like, okay, well, all we need to do is this, this, and this. And he said, one of the best lessons I've ever had is I know how to fix this. You, you know how I know how to fix this? Because I made that mistake. And that's how I know I how to fix it. And I think that your point about the, like, you know, uh, I can do this on my own. I don't want anybody to know I mess up. The folks are going to be able to help you fix a problem because they've been through it. They know it. And I think that that's, but I think that there's also that. And again, this is me coming from my background as a reporter. You know, we, like, you mess up and, like, the next morning it's, like, a big headline that's <laughs> it's wrong. Right. And, you, and, it's, and it, you're done. Like, that's it, right? Uh, you know pretty quickly. Uh, that you've made a mistake and that you know there are those jobs where there's that pressure of of making a mistake but at the same time it's really important um that you have that so it was just it, really interesting that you you mentioned that from the you know teamwork and building the team and, and setting that atmosphere i think it's really interesting yeah, and I think that's the, there are different ways to do it, whether it's a safe harbor, whether it's that community teaming, but I think our listeners just focus on, you've got to have a culture where you're encouraged to share those and come forward with mistakes, not a, I'll be punished if I admit anything culture, because that's where you have the incentive to cover it up, which ultimately does damage, whether it's a participant or a final client or uh, whatever, that's, you know, that seems to me the risk that you run if your culture doesn't allow that kind of encourages that acceptance. And 
you know, and mistakes do happen. That's one of the ways, as again, as Brian, you've pointed out, that's one of the ways we learn. And so you have to have a culture where, you know, mistakes, and obviously you hope that there are mistakes that are easily recoverable, or you, you, you tried something new and failed as opposed to, you know, missing a statute of limitations or some of the other malpractice type mistakes that always can happen. But I think that either way, you need a culture where that can be acknowledged and dealt with rather than buried. Any final parting tips? I know we're about out of time. Keith, anything else you want to tell our listeners in terms of the, you know, the legal department or things you've learned over the years that might be helpful to particularly some of the younger GCs that may be listening? Yeah, no, I, uh, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you uh, for the opportunity. I think the, the lasting you know, thought I would, I would leave with is the importance of having fun is uh, we just touched on it and how it manifests itself is, uh, you know, can be in different ways. Um, but the practice of law is challenging. I think never been more challenging in terms of what expectations are, particularly in a sophisticated practice. And what you can do as a leader to continue to facilitate that amongst your teams, amongst your colleagues, not just your legal teams, you know, your, your, your sphere of influence goes beyond just your legal department. You know, it goes to obviously your business, your internal business clients, business partners like finance, risk management. They should all be in your sphere of influence. You should work to have your teams include them in your sphere of influence. I think we're fortunate. Uh, the the society has sort of conferred a. Uh, a status on lawyers, and despite you know a lot of lawyer jokes and thing, you know <laughs> true missteps over the years, I think we still um, have maintained that that status. So use it for good. Use it for positive influence, and and advance your practice and advance that of your your clients, whether they're internal clients, in your case, Mark, you know external clients, uh, and to me that will be fun. I like it. Have fun. Use the force. Do good. I think that's important. <laughs> in, in honor of the right. next Star Wars. Yes, yes. Honor, cool. Star Wars good, is not that far preview. away. <laughs> so, that's right. So, um, no. Well, that I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Keith. I think that's very helpful uh, information. And, and thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. It has been interesting, and we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you have time and have enjoyed the podcast, I'd encourage you to go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes so it helps other people uh, find the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Until next time, take care. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our other episodes from the ACC Annual Conference, which we'll be rolling out every two weeks. You can download or stream those and other past episodes or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, or visit our website at womblebonddickinson.com forward slash US forward slash podcast. As always, I welcome your questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. This has been In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station.